0: to Week in Review, where we recap the events and issues pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WNBD Radio News Director Will Stevenson. The nation is mourning after three U.S. service members were killed and dozens more injured after a drone made in Iran struck a military installation in Jordan one week ago. Some politicians have wanted an immediate attack on Iran, while Iran claims it had nothing to do with the attack. One of Illinois's two U.S. Senators, Tammy Duckworth, spoke on the Senate floor recently about the deaths and how they should be responded to.
1: Mr. President, if you listen closely right now, you can hear the drums of war gain momentum. I know that sound. It's the same sound that led me to deploy to a dusty desert outpost in Iraq 20 years ago, where I served alongside some of the bravest men and women you could ever meet. It's the same sound that ultimately led me to run for office, a decision I only made after I was shot down in Iraq when I found myself searching for a new mission to serve my nation. I found that mission in giving a voice to every veteran who had willingly sacrificed so much answering their nation's call to serve. And I found it in speaking up for the active duty troops still waking up in dusty base camps throughout the Middle East, still serving tour after tour, bleeding, even dying, thousands of miles away because they had sworn an oath to defend the country they loved, no matter what it cost them. And that sound is why a few minutes ago I wheeled myself to this desk with the same purpose that took me first to battle, then the campaign trail. And that is to help keep America as strong as she can be and to try to look out for the troops who never stop looking out for the rest of us. Today, Mr. President, I am here in this beautiful chamber with privilege all around me to beg of my colleagues one simple thing. As tensions in the Middle East escalate, please, from this place of safety and comfort, think of the sacrifices our service members make every single day. Please, as the drums of war grow louder honor our service members by thinking of what would be asking them to risk if we risk an expanded conflict with iran on sunday morning we all woke to the tragic horrific news that three american soldiers were killed in an iran-backed attack in jordan i imagine many who saw the news may not have even known that we had u.s service members stationed in jordan but i was acutely aware of it in fact just 24 hours earlier, I had woken up in Illinois and helped to send almost 300 Illinois National Guardsmen off to start their mission in Saint CENTCOM, in the Saint CENTCOM area of operation, the exact AO where this attack took place. And since Sunday, I don't think I've gone a waking hour without thinking about the brave service members who lost their lives, Sergeant William Jerome Rivers, Sergeant Kennedy Layden Sanders, and Sergeant Brianna Alexandria Muffet, and each of them was willing to sacrifice the unimaginable to keep our nation safe. They are our heroes. During this impossible time, my thoughts are with their families, who will never be able to say, I love you, in person to them again. And my thoughts are with the more than 40 other service members who were wounded in the blast, with at least three among them having severe enough injuries that they had to be evacuated to Germany. It's clear that we must forcefully and swiftly make those responsible pay for the devastation they have wrought, and send a message that these attacks against our service members will not be tolerated. But we must do this with clear eyes, a steady hand, and a clear strategic end goal in mind, seeking justice and ultimately a swift end to these threats to our troops. I don't have all the details yet, but based on initial reports, it seems that President Biden's planned response will do just that. It looks like it will be a well-thought-out, strong rebuttal that aims to deter Iran from supporting further attacks on U.S. troops without risking boiling tensions even further. Because this is a uniquely dangerous moment. And the message we send to Iran must make war less likely, not more. After all, after decades of forever wars in the region, The last thing we want is to send those who volunteer to serve our country into another endless, senseless conflict. And if we want to adequately honor the sacrifices of the three service members killed last week, we must remain focused on preventing their brothers and sisters-in-arms from dying in a preventable war on foreign soil. Sadly, over the past few days, some of my Republican colleagues have been making reckless, irresponsible comments that risk dangerously escalating tensions. They've been throwing rocks, chest thumping over social media, beating the drums of war, demanding that the President ramp up the temperature that he, and I quote, hit Iran now and hit them hard. Look, I ran for Congress so that when those drums of war started beating, I'd be in a position to make sure that our leaders in Washington fully consider the cost of war, not just in dollars and cents, but in the sacrifices and blood of our troops. So I've come to the floor today, as those drums echo louder than they have in years, to keep my promise to do our troops justice. To beseech my colleagues to let cool heads, common sense, and sound strategy prevail over reckless impulses. And if necessary, I will come back to this chamber day after day after day, speaking from this wheelchair that I earned the last time Congress rashly sent our sons and daughters into another endless, senseless war ensuring that this time we do right by our troops by fully soberly considering the, co- the consequences of these decisions on those who serve and their families listen i am no dove after all i volunteered to fight in a war that i deeply disagreed with so i am certain so i am certainly not opposed to war when it's necessary to defend this great nation and i am not opposed to striking iranian assets if our approach is smart limited and strategically calibrated to end the spiral of violence that threatens our service members. But I will also do everything in my power to remind those who today are so eagerly pushing us down the path to war that there are serious repercussions involved for the Americans who would actually be in harm's way, even if they may not be felt by politicians here in Washington. Under both a federal law known as the War Powers Act and Article I of the Constitution, only Congress has a solemn responsibility of deciding when and how the United States sends its troops into war. So if Republicans really want to risk war with Iran, then they owe it to our troops to bring an authorization for use of military force to the floor. Instead of hiding behind social media accounts and television interviews, bring that debate to this chamber so that we can actually fulfill our duty and begin the serious business of considering the merits and drawbacks of such a conflict so that as we ask them to sacrifice so much our troops downrange would at least know what their mission is what their goals are and what their leaders in washington and that their leaders in washington both have their backs and are following the constitution that they are willing to die to protect and defend whenever republicans are ready if they're ever ready i am here to participate in that debate and if their arguments for war are strong enough I owe it to my constituents to consider and vote on the merits of them. I myself would be the first to volunteer if you could have use of a gimpy black former Black Hawk pilot, but I will go. I can pack my ruck in 15 minutes if needed. But for now, with those drums pounding once more, I want to just—I just want to ask each of my colleagues to take a moment to think about the true cost of war for all those service members still at risk. A dusty desert basis, thousands of miles away. I personally cannot go a moment without forgetting them. And you at the floor.
0: U.S. Senator from Illinois, Tammy Duckworth. President Biden on Friday attended a dignified transfer ceremony when the remains of the three soldiers killed returned to American soil. More Week in Review, coming up. East Peoria Mayor John Call gave his annual State of the City speech this week. The city expects a balanced budget, plenty of road and infrastructure projects, and to reap the benefits of several new developments that are in the process of being constructed. But one other thing Call is a part of is a rebranding effort. Residents and others are being asked to take a survey about how East Peoria should sell itself to the
2: area. Call talked about that and other matters on Friday. So I do want to talk about the branding effort because, you know, I was asked yesterday, um, Village President Metamora Cummings and I, we went over to the alley at Bradley, and we presented in front of some senior citizens that were going through a course on different forms of government and things of like that. It was super great. We ended up going long on it because they had so many great questions. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is one of the questions was an older gentleman that said, you know, why are you guys spending that kind of money on branding? Why is it so important? And I know Cindy Bird's in the audience tonight. So five years ago, um, one of my goals coming into office was to bring the different pillars of our community together. East Peoria is always, we kind of work in silos. It's a great community, but we kind of work in silos. And to me, we didn't really have branding per se, a community branding. You come into our city, the entry signs. I mean, I don't have to tell you that you see them. Um, there's just a lot that goes into branding. But more importantly, when I sat down with this company and they said, well, Mayor, From your perspective, what one word describes East Peoria? And I said, five years ago, I would have told you progressive. And I'm not trying to insult anybody, but I do not like that word. It's taken on a whole new meaning. So I said transformative. That's what I see East Peoria. I grew up here. I look at East Peoria today compared to what it was 50 some years ago when I was a kid. And it's just amazing how this city doesn't sit back and that's visionary leadership that goes back decades and i talked about the previous five mayors and the councils and their hand in everything that transformed our city to what it is today so we have a story to tell and i just don't feel like we're where we were headed with all these different stakeholders and everybody had kind of different ideas and it was nothing person it just kind of it kind of went dark. And so I got with Ty and we went back to the city council to see if there's an interest in the branding. But more importantly, here's what's so important about this project. We, we actually had focus groups and many people in this room participated, which thank you again in person, because they provided such valuable information on what their perception is of East Peoria, not John Call's. I know what mine isn't, but I'm probably biased. I grew up here, Uh, my wife and I, uh, we raised our kids here, and we love this community. So they didn't want to hear from me, they want to hear from everybody else. And so it was a week-long thing, they're not done, they'll be back in town. But they'll be pushing out a survey here shortly that will go out to anybody and everybody to weigh in. um, And they'll kind of have some some matrix that they're looking at there, but um, it's a big effort, but really. It'll be our identity. It'll be our ability to go out and attract new business and attract residents and retain the ones that we have. And it's about wins. You know, I mean, I look at this region, we have so many positive things, but man, nobody talks about it. Everybody talks about negative. We got Debbie Downers and negative Nancys. And if I had some guys' names to throw in there, I'd do it. But (laughs) anyway, not to pick on anyone that's named Nancy or But nonetheless it's about a positive image and uh i know we i know we will land in a good spot when it's all done but uh that's that's going to be wrapped up probably in the fall after the survey comes back and it's what they're going to do is they're not going to come back and tell you this is your brand they're going to come back with a 300 page report that comes to city uh, to myself and i'll share it with the council and we'll talk it over with staff and then you choose out of the things that they put together uh, what you want to do with it moving forward so we're super excited to see where that lands that'll be around october september october all right so we have a lot of things going on this year and one of them is a comprehensive plan so this is a little factoid it's pretty interesting so this is a hundred fifty thousand dollar project and i want to give ty and tri-county regional planning commission Credit on this because the last one we did was in September of 2013, was the last one we adopted. And when you look at that, all these uh, fields that I have listed on here, all these components, I should say, go into what your city's comprehensive plan is. And you have to have a plan in place, especially if you're seeking funds uh, to move things along in your community. But all these things matter. And we're going to have a community engagement piece on this. The Steering Committee met for the first time this past Monday. But here's an interesting fact. So East Peoria adopted its first comprehensive plan in 1968. And for those that are good at math, I was two years old. The population of East Peoria at that time was 14,000 people. The amount of caterpillar workers in East Peoria in 1968 was 22,000 double what our population is so for those who grew up here you remember how busy the levy district was when it was all caterpillar here's what's fascinating i look at east peoria today and i've said this multiple times without even realizing that because i was two i wouldn't have known any different even in today with what we've done with the levy district i've always said the population doubles during the day with the amount of traffic that flows through here it's absolutely incredible but uh, now we're a town of just under 23,000 people, and we're super excited to get this project. But I brought up Tri County because I want people to understand the city's cost of this, thanks to the grant that we received, the SPR grant through IDOT, which Tri County we couldn't have done it without their approval and their facilitating. It, they pay 80% of it, so it's 150 grand, and uh, we're looking, we're looking at we put in the budget up to $40,000 uh, matching funds, but. Uh, and that that literally is going to be a year-long process. So we'll be a year out before uh, that's wrapped up. There's Felipe, and he's very passionate uh, man, does a great job. But anyway, uh, Corey had this idea, and uh, I want to thank the, both schools because we pushed out a survey to the students of both uh, the grade school and the high school asking for their ideas. We want all demographics to weigh in on new float ideas and what you would like to see different. 40 years is a big deal. We want to make this one special. So if you don't mind going online and you can do the survey, that's going to run through the 29th and we can't wait to see where that lands. Eastport Marina, for the boaters out there, um, we've made some major investments in Eastport. Uh, Brad and Heather and their staff have done a great job in the last two years, really trying hard to turn that place around. Uh, Quite honestly, it's embarrassing. It's a what I would deem the only first-class marina between Chicago and St. Louis at one time back in its day. And we realized the significance to bring that back to its days of glory. So the council, um, once again, were very supportive of the marina. And one of the things that we heard was, you can't rent the slips because everything's silted over. So we made a half a million dollar investment. We bought this Mudcat 115 D dredge and what they call geotextile tubes, and you'll see them down there when you're facing the marina, they're off on the left side of the dry stack. And it's what they're doing is they're dredging everything out. This is what they accomplished since we, we rolled that machine in, um, and thanks to mild weather, we're down to a depth of seven and eight feet in a lot of areas that were lucky if they were two or three feet. So uh, we're making great strides, but the thing about these um, geotextile tubes is all that material gets dried out. It dewater[s] the material, which then turns into real high-quality topsoil. So the thought is, once it's topsoil, then we can move it along. There's probably plenty of people that could use it. Uh, events in 2024, just to name a few, um, won't go down the whole list here, but Eastside, we re- recently invited a number of you folks in. We go through the event calendar for the year. 42 out of uh, 52 weekends were literally already reserved and booked at Eastside. That's how many events are going to take place. And that's not to mention s- some other things we're working on. But those are also events. East Peoria hosts a lot of nonprofit events. Um, I put the Teresa Tracy group up there because that's an all-volunteer group, and they just did their check presentation uh, Tuesday evening. And this year, that volunteer group raised $146,000 in the reason why that's important to share about a nonprofit is that money stays local. And so they split the proceeds between Dr. Gandhi's research at the University of Illinois College of Medicine, Puria, um, Carl Health, which um, they were a recipient last year of a third of that, and then Illinois Cancer Care. And Illinois Cancer Care does a lot of genetic testing with those funds, and they're getting ready to roll out uh, a new program which they announced Monday. But that group in itself, it's been here 13 years, they're at the $900,000 mark on what they've contributed back. Uh, not a single dime goes to the people that work all year, but that's a greatly attended event that will always happen in, in uh, November. Um, Carol, i got to give Carol a shout out with the duck race, um, which is an absolutely phenomenal event. They do great work, always have great community support, which we appreciate. That'll be August again this year, uh, Farmer's Market. I gave a little shout-out to Dairy Queen because um, they've already reached out to the Chamber and Corey, and they want to be heavily involved in the community, but that's due to open very soon, uh, so we appreciate that. We've got the Red, White, and Boom coming back July 4th. Cars and Coffee kicks off. That has been shifted down by Bass Pro, and we did the trunk or treat down there, and the turnout was absolutely phenomenal. And the car folks really like that venue down there much better. So everything's shifted down there.
0: East Peoria Mayor John Call. Again, the website for the branding survey is chooseeastpeoria.com. Again, chooseeastpeoria.com. Also, the city wants ideas for a new float for the East Peoria Festival of Lights. That survey is available at cityofeastpeoria.com. cityofeastpeoria.com. More Week in Review, coming up. We talked in our last segment, among other things, about some surveys you and East Peoria residents can take, but there's a survey you can take if you live in Peoria, or more specifically, if you've ever parked in Peoria. WMBD's T.J. Carson talked with Peoria Public Works spokesperson Nick McMillian.
3: Under the direction of uh, Peoria City Council, we have been asked and tasked with uh, exploring and looking at uh, basically the parking needs in downtown. We want to make sure that the parking needs and offerings that we currently have are still meeting the needs for everyone that may come into downtown. Uh, we know there's a lot of people, that different types of people that utilize downtown, whether they're workers, whether they're uh, residents, or whether they're coming into downtown from uh, out, out of out of the area uh, to, to go to an event at the Civic Center or, or um, something else. But we know that there's a lot of different parking options uh, that municipalities use, and we just want to make sure that we are utilizing all of our uh, facilities and parking spaces correctly.
4: Is the current parking situation downtown fulfilling the needs? Is it uh, satisfying the needs?
3: We know right now that... There is ample on the street parking, and there is ample uh, parking in the city-owned parking decks. Uh, what we don't know, however, is or what we want more information on is uh, what people specifically are looking for. Whether uh, there's a need, a greater need for um, electric vehicle charging stations, possibly in parking spots, or or if the public would like to see, um, a, you know different parking options utilizes, such as a permit or a fee-based parking. Uh, so we're just looking to make sure that what we currently offer offer is still the best option for everyone's needs.
4: Is it possible that more parking spots could be made available downtown
3: as a result of this? It could be. Uh, the, you know, there's, there's a lot of options out there uh, for potential improvements. Uh, and what we're really curious as to see of what uh, we want to know is, is what people actually want or are needing. If, if we get responses saying, you know, the, the parking is great, that we uh, don't see a need for a change, then ultimately uh, our survey will be satisfactory in, the, in that sense. But if it comes back that, um, you know, there is a need for more parking, that'll be an avenue that the city uh, we'll definitely explore.
4: Where can people find the survey?
3: So the survey is currently located on the city's website, and um, it is on our social media pages on Facebook and and Nextdoor as well.
4: How long will it take to complete the survey, and what kind of questions are you asking in it?
3: So the question or the the survey itself is very brief. It probably takes no longer than five minutes to complete, and I. I think there's roughly between 15 and 20 questions. Uh, the questions itself are, are asking, uh, when you do go to, go to downtown, why are you going to downtown? Are you going uh, to utilize downtown for shopping or restaurants or an event? Uh, when you do go downtown, are you parking on the street? Are you utilizing a parking deck or are you parking somewhere else? Uh, how far are you willing to walk to Uh, a space or to an event, Um, you know, questions of that nature, and and really if, and questions along the lines of if you would like to see any changes uh, being made to the current parking situation.
4: That question you mentioned of why you go downtown or why you have a need to park downtown, how important is a question like that in your assessments?
3: Ultimately, we know that downtown is a thriving area, and, and it's a rebuilding area as well. Uh, there are so many great, you know, restaurants, shops, uh, uh, entertainment spots in downtown, and we want to know when you are coming downtown. Is it is it primarily uh, in the evening or overnight that you're coming downtown? Uh, so we want to look at gathering as much information as possible because we know that, there's a lot of workers downtown uh, for a lot of different buildings, but is it also that we need to have ample parking in the evenings and overnight? So the more information that we can gather uh, for why you're coming downtown, it will ultimately uh, provide a better response for uh, parking options in the future.
4: So people have a couple weeks to complete this survey. Once you close the survey, What's next? what follows after that?
3: So our consulting engineering firm will take the results from the from the survey uh, uh, it'll probably take a month or two to get uh, responses uh, tabulated and put back into a report for us to to look over and ultimately we'll present it um, to the council and discuss um, the findings uh, that we have found uh, from the survey, and then the council itself will uh, we'll take a look at it and and get different ideas and discuss uh, different topics that, that maybe want to be addressed in the future for parking.
4: Based off what you know now, is there anything that you think can be approved right away, or is it just kind of wait and see how this survey goes?
3: Yeah, really, right now with this survey, it's very exploratory. Uh, this survey, we really, we think Currently, right now, we, we do a good job of uh, providing parking options uh, throughout downtown and throughout the city. But as trends and patterns have changed over the time when it comes to parking and transportation, we want to make sure that we're still providing the best possible options uh, for people coming into downtown. And if they would like to see a, a different parking option or, or something Uh, that we don't offer right now, Uh, we want to make sure that we're still meeting all of those needs as trends have changed over time.
4: I know you mentioned the electric vehicle chargers is one of those potential options. Is there anything that you're seeing in other cities that could be brought in to Peoria as a result of this survey?
3: Sure. So as you know, and, and as a lot of people know, uh, when you travel to other cities and other mu- municipalities, uh, there is no one standard format for parking. Uh, a lot of different cities, uh, offer several different ways to park and a lot of different options to park. So whether it's EV charging stations or whether it's permit based parking, uh, that sort of thing, I don't think anything really is off the table, uh, right now when, uh, considering different options. So, uh, we are looking at, you know, what other cities do offer and, and really with this, we hope to gather uh, as much information as possible as
0: what people want. Peoria Public Works spokesperson Nick McMillian with TJ Carson. More Week in Review coming up. Some upgrades you might call giant have been completed at Peoria Riverfront Museum's Giant Screen Theater. Peoria Riverfront Museum CEO John Morris talked about them this past week. The
5: Giant Screen Theater. We're here uh, with our Board Chairman Todd Baker, uh, representing our Board of Directors. We've got Andrew Rand from our President's Advisory Council here, thank you very much. Members of the staff, members of the Visionary Society, members of the community. Uh, and our special partners in this whole effort, Pearl Technology, represented by the owner, Gary Pearl, today, and the team we'll hear from in a few minutes, uh, Jeremy Caldera, Pat Vendetti. And so uh, this is a big day for the Peoria Riverfront Museum, and I mean that metaphorically and literally. Uh, a, a quick story about the screen behind me. In um, in, uh... 2012, when the Peoria Riverfront Museum opened is the only multidisciplinary museum of our kind in the nation art, science, history, achievement, giant screen theater, and planetarium. No other museum in the country has those elements, only one. Um, it really should be noted that uh, the late Dave Ransberg, the founding board chairman of the Peoria Riverfront Museum, personally took this. Uh, as a mission to find the absolute best technology. Traveled uh, to Europe to evaluate then with Jeremy Caldera. You were with him, weren't you? Climbed up those stairs to inspect the thing. And so I just mentioned uh, those members of the board who have uh, have really uh, been devoted to the idea that this theater uh, could mean a tremendous amount to central Illinois. A member of the the founding board of the museum and our only board member, Emerita, is here with us today and she was there at the time that the late Dave Ransberg pursued all these things and her name is Sally Snyder. We always are proud to have her in the house, Sally Sally Snyder. (laughs) So uh, before I say a few more things about the theater, I'd like to bring forward uh, for greetings on behalf of our board of directors, the chairman, Todd Baker, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Appreciate that. Um, Sally, great to see you.
3: Uh, John you can't say enough about Sally Snyder and and uh, actually retired chair ran from the county board we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for people like that and thank you on behalf of the board for your efforts and work uh, just on behalf of the board I want to thank the folks at Pearl it's an amazing room I've, I've been in it since it was done I, I know you guys were here day in and day out and day in and day out and working really hard and uh, unfortunately putting up with John thank you for that and thank you for your generosity and I know dr. gum I don't see him here yet but he's on his way he's our uh, film society chair, and when he gets here, I'm sure he'll uh, have good things to say. So on behalf of the board, thank you all
5: for being here and appreciate your efforts. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Todd. Uh, We are, it's remarkable that this uh, nonprofit organization, a privately funded organization that lives in a public house, has the, the support that we do from the community. Uh, 6.2 million dollar annual operating budget now with a professional staff of 30 of the top museum people, uh, full-time people and dozens of part-timers and what we do every day is to build confidence and spark learning and when we do those two things we accomplish the mission of this museum which is to unleash the full talent and genius of, of every individual. Talent, talent, talent. Yesterday when I saw the first graders from The school that was formerly known as Roosevelt, now the Elise Ford Allen Academy, little first graders coming through, part of the 18,000 students that will come through on our Every Student Initiative this year. For those kids to be able to come in a theater like this and see educational programs in a theater like this is a remarkable moment. Uh, for in their lives. And I I periodically stop and ask the little children coming through in the Every Student Initiative, what's your favorite part of the museum? Invariably, I'd say at least half of them will say, the movies. There's something special about this place. It is in this place where we show 1,000 film showings a year, 1,000 film showings with all sorts of different Variable programs that I'll talk about a little bit later here, but we also do ceremonies and symposia. We've had the top uh, uh, genetic, genetic research folks in conjunction with OSF jump training in here. We've had Medal of Honor recipient Hal Fritz on the 50th anniversary of his act of valor in Vietnam, one of only 63 living Medal of Honor recipients here on this stage in this theater with a, a picture of a Medal of Honor the size of that screen behind him. And we surprised him by bringing back four members of his unit whose lives he saved in Vietnam. 50 years to the day before, that was on January 11th. He just actually celebrated the 55th anniversary of his, his act of valor. So we do films, we do programs, and, and now we have, the most state-of-the-art movie theater of its kind in the nation. So, uh, I'm gonna bring forward the partners who have helped us get there, who are excellent funders and supporters of the museum, but really locked arm-in-arm in what I hope will be one of their flagship proudest achievements, is to bring this theater, 200 seats, the largest film society screen in the country up to the standards that, that we all deserve here. So if I could bring forward three representatives of Pearl Technology, the owner, Gary Pearl, a member of our Visionary Society Council with his wife, Sarah, uh, Pat Vendetti uh, from Pearl Technology, and the lead on the ground, uh, climbing the climbing the sample bay, uh Jeremy Caldera. Ladies and gentlemen, Pearl Technology.
6: Thank you, John. Uh, it's been a Pearl Organizations had a long time relationship with the museum, and uh, we're very proud of that. We're very excited to be here today and uh, uh, show all of you this this great work that we've done. So I'm going to let uh, Jeremy talk a little bit about uh, what we've done here, and it's it's a great great venue and a great uh, great theater. Thanks, Jeremy. <clears throat> Yeah, we've been fortunate enough to have a partnership with the museum for years now, and that includes technology throughout the entire facility, but most recently here, the Giant Screen Cinema. uh, What's really nice about this is the recent upgrade includes two new laser projectors, which is really awesome because the old projectors used to have uh, lamps in them, and um, the, uh, the lamps used to have to be replaced every 1,500 hours, 2,000 hours. They cost you know, thousands of dollars a piece, so recurring revenue costs will actually come down for the museum as well, which is nice, plus you're going to get a better picture, better picture quality, better color, better, you know, color depth, just the overall image quality is is fantastic. Uh, The sound system we recently upgraded as well, that was the most recent part uh, that happened over the past couple of weeks. Got about two weeks worth of work done with six or seven people in about a week, just over a week total. So a lot of long nights here. Uh, you'll notice uh, larger surround sound speakers. Behind me on the, behind the screen is actually nine foot tall speakers. There's five of them. They're about 25, 30 feet up in the air. So getting them up there was a challenge uh, to replace uh, the older system. And uh, a stack of subwoofers that sit on the floor down here give you an unbelievable experience from a technology perspective so we're very happy to bring that to everyone here for not just movies or educational films but also the presentations and things that are happening throughout the year here at the museum so that's from a technology standpoint john thank you and, uh, <laughs> jeremy i don't know if you noticed but while you were talking you were behind yourself and you were no,
5: 50, I did not notice that. Yeah, you were 50. Put that picture Jeremy
6: back up for a second. Well, there's Jeremy too, but uh, tuning
5: the Yeah, there you are. Yeah, 50 feet tall. <laughs> go, go back one slide if you would. Uh, forward one slide, what you had. Yeah, right there. This is fascinating to me. I mean, I've, I've been here seven years in April, and I never seen behind the screen until the Pearl uh, folks. In fact, you hired like a rock climbing guy. Uh, He's on our staff, actually. On the staff who, who uh, climbed the scaffolding back. There's about four feet behind the screen, and I took these pictures so of the, the screen, which is actually perforated like that. If you got to go close to it, that's the close-up of the, the edge of the screen over there. And uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable uh, what, the, what they did to raise speakers. There are 21 speakers in this room on this Dolby surround sound. And so the speakers are about right in the center of the screen. It's a remarkable thing.
0: Peoria Riverfront Museum CEO, John Morris. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us again next week on this Midwest Communications Station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in central Illinois. I'm Will Stevenson, WMBD Radio News.